Hi, Aisha. Hello, Leila. How are you? Good. Welcome to Muslims Doing Things. I'm so excited to have you as a guest today. And why don't you tell people why, Aisha? Can you tell me about yourself? Yes, of course. Well, first of all, thank you so much. I don't get too many opportunities to do podcasts, so I'm really excited about this one. But yeah, my name is Aisha. I am a beauty and lifestyle content creator. I started out on YouTube and it kind of transformed into a whole social media career. And I'm originally from Toronto, Canada, but I live in Los Angeles and absolutely love it here. And I create content for all women, but particularly Muslim women, Black Muslim women, and just share my journey online with them. So you're being very humble. You do all of that to 400,000 plus YouTube subscribers, over 250,000 Instagram subscribers, most recently a TikTok, some Twitter here and there. Like you have reach. Thank you. You're making me sound a lot. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's tough to even just conceptualize like the amount of followers that follow what I do because I've been doing this for nearly 10 years now, but it's so amazing that I've been able to grow it into such like a beautiful amazing community of women. And yeah, I'm really happy and lucky to be doing what I do. I cannot wait to go into that because you're like 25, right? Yeah. 10 years ago, like you, you were 15. Yes, I was very young. <laughs> <laughs> your, your career started when you were 15 years old. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, I essentially grew up on the internet, which is really interesting. Yeah, because you, you literally just graduated college. Mm -hmm. So let's go way back. Where were you born? So I was born in Toronto, Canada, representing for any of my Canadians watching. And I, let's see, I mean, I currently live in LA, but I grew up my entire life in Canada, did school out there. And yeah, what else do you want to know? <laughs> so you did school out there. You're, you're Ethiopian Canadian, is that right? Yes. So I am Ethiopian. My parents were born and raised there and came over to Canada over 32 years ago now. And I i mean, all of my family and everyone that I love is in Canada. And I love that place so much. <laughs> it's objectively a good place. So I'm, I'm with you. I hear yeah. you. And so you're 15 and you're in Canada. Yeah. Like why? When you uploaded the first video, what was going through your mind? And what was your ambition at that point? Okay, well, there was zero ambition at that point. <laughs> Let's be honest. But okay, so a little bit of a rewind. Before I even had the current channel that I have right now, I actually had a music channel. So I was really into watching like music channels online. And I just kind of started posting my own covers. And my name was like Aisha Music or Aisha Love Music or something. And I think I was actually 14 at the time. So I was even younger. And then a couple years later, I started really getting into beauty and fashion and all of that. And that's when I created the current channel that I have right now. But it kind of just stemmed from like following people like Michelle Phan, Jackie Ina, Juicy Star 07, Mac Barbie 07, like all of these people that I loved. And I just kind of wanted to do what they were doing. And were you like good at that point? Did you like have really good makeup skills? And you're like, you know what, I could do this better. Or were you like, nobody looks like me? Or were you like, wait, this seems cool? Or were you like, I want free stuff? Like, what, what, what drove that to a, for 15 year old yeah. Aisha? Well, I definitely wasn't very good. I think it was honestly like I... I grew up, I feel like on the internet, like the age of MySpace and High Five and kind of all of those social media networks, Facebook, when it first came out. And I think I just really enjoyed that aspect of it. So when YouTube came in and I realized, oh my God, people can like see my face and, you know, that sort of thing. There was no kind of like incentive or even just objective in mind. I just wanted to post videos and 
and just kind of see what happened. But also, I mean, I did obviously realize there was no like black hijabi women doing like beauty and makeup at the time. So not that I was trying to like capitalize on that or get free stuff or even make it a career It's just kind of like, that's cool. I can do essentially the same thing as them probably not as great. But let me just do it anyways. <laughs> I mean, it worked out. I'm, gl- I'm glad you did yes. it. I'm glad you did it. And so you're 15, 16, you're on YouTube, you're uploading a few videos here and there. Did you have like a marketing strategy? H- how did your videos start to get out there? So it's it's funny, the first couple of videos I posted were, I think, like, a get ready with me or get to know me tag. I was just kind of doing all of the popular tags at the time. And I didn't even really realize that anyone was going to follow me. I feel like I made them more for myself than anyone. Didn't tell anyone about it, not my friends, my family. And it wasn't like at one point I was like, oh my God, I'm getting 100 views on this video. Like, who are these 100 people? Until I realized, oh, that's actually me refreshing the page constantly. <laughs> that's actually uh, Aisha Haroon watching that 100 times. But, you know, over the years, it, it really was just like a passion project. And like, I didn't even know what a passion project meant at the time when I was 15, 16, but it was just something I genuinely enjoyed. And then. I think eventually I would say like a year, six months to a year into it, I realized like, oh, shoot, there's actually people commenting, like there's people finding my videos, like people know who I am, people are requesting videos now. And I think it just kind of became a thing over time, because at the time, there literally was no black Muslim women, especially hijabi women doing beauty. And it was kind of this, this time where like people were realizing, oh, shoot, there's a girl that kind of looks like me on the internet, let me follow her and see what she's doing. So it was a really exciting time, I want to say. That sounds really cool. I I have a decade on you. And when I was learning how to do makeup, I distinctly remember like opening up magazines and trying to figure things out and like, you know, taking a shot at my eyebrows and being like, oh, that went really poorly. (laughs) Like that was not, you know, these magazines don't have very thick eyebrows. Those instructions weren't very good. Like now I have no eyebrows. Oh boy. (laughs) It's going to take a while for me to fix this mistake. Girl, I had the same issue. My eyebrows were thin as like paper it was so bad and I think I mainly just got my because I was like definitely a consumer of YouTube like I was and I still am like I barely even watch TV shows YouTube is like my main source of entertainment it was just constantly watching people do their makeup and that's literally how I learned I never took a class I never like learned professionally it was just truly through YouTube and it was kind of all trial and error and unfortunately a lot of that trial and error is now recorded on the internet for the rest of my life but you know (laughs) I made a career out of it so here we are (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very fortunate, very fortunate. Yeah. So that's awesome and and a really cool journey. And so at some point you go to college and when you're in college, are you like I'm going to go to college because I want to be an XYZ yeah. or I want to go to college because I want to be an influencer? What were you thinking future Aisha would do when you were in college? So as I mentioned, like my YouTube channel was definitely just a passion project, so there was never a moment in time where I even stopped to think oh, if I continue this, I could do this full time. Like there was never that question in my mind. I just thought that I was going to be a regular schmegular girl working her nine to five corporate job. Like, and I was totally fine with that. So going into college, I took business. I studied at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University out in Waterloo, Ontario. And I studied business marketing, specifically just like a BBA, but I specialized in marketing later on. And I think where the shift came, so when I went, actually, let me start here. When I went into college, I actually stopped posting for a while. Like I didn't post a video for, I think like nine months, like the entire freshman year. 
And then in the summer, I didn't have a summer job. So I was like, you know what, let me just fill my time out with like posting these videos. And I really think that's when things started to change. Like that summer, I think I gained, you know, my first 10,000 subscribers, or I hit my first 10,000 subscribers, things were growing, people were starting to know who I was, my family found out. And you know, throughout university, I was like, okay, you know what, this is fun to me. It's kind of a side project. It was just a hobby. So I continued posting. Um, but I think when things shifted was actually my third year of university, I got an internship at this place called Kin Community, and they're a YouTube multi channel network. So they deal with YouTubers, and they have a bunch of people on their roster. And I learned so much in that role. I was their partner strategist slash marketing intern. And it was the first time I really saw like people making real careers and like money off of YouTube and social media. And it kind of opened my eyes to that world. They obviously knew I had a channel as well. And I think that was kind of where the shift came where I was like, okay, maybe I should continue posting and kind of see where this goes. Was there an actual like moment moment where you decided this is it. I Yeah. Okay. So the first time I actually got paid for something was, I believe, also in my third year of university. It was like, I think I got paid like $400 to make a YouTube video for, I even forget what company it is at this point, but it was like, oh my God, like I just made $400. I was working like, you know, <laughs> a really... I mean, it was a little bit over minimum wage, but I was working for the career center at my university and I was like, oh my God, I made more than I did in a month in just one video. I think that's where things shifted. But again, it wasn't until that internship. And honestly, probably the last month of the internship where they actually offered to sign me onto their network. And I was like, okay, this actually might be kind of cool because I obviously had a connection with their team. I knew what types of projects they were working on. I knew what types of budgets they were working on. And they kind of actually encouraged me to kind of explore that whole option. And I think after that was kind of like the shift where I was like, okay, maybe let's let's see where this goes. So I have a comment and a question. The question was I was planning to ask later, but I think this is the right time to ask it. The comment I just have to ask, were you like college famous? Did everybody know what you're calling? <laughs> so no. Oh my God. I was so like hush hush about everything. Like I think I only told one person one or two people, which it was really interesting. It was my freshman year and I was sitting next to this girl and her friend in, I think it was like a psychology class. And she showed me her dorm room and it looked very like YouTube-esque. Like the, the people that I used to watch on YouTube, like their rooms look like that. So I just turned over and I'm like, do you watch YouTubers? And she was like, yeah, how do you like, what? Like, how did you know that? Because it was still kind of very new at the time. Um, this was in 2013. And then I told them about it. So they were the only ones who really knew what I did all throughout university. I was very, very quiet about it all. Um, and I think it helped that like, I mean, I went to a very white town university. So I don't think anyone was really checking for this black hijabi girl make, doing beauty videos. <laughs> but I actually am so thankful that I wasn't because I kind of I feel like I would have gotten really embarrassed and probably would have just like deleted my channel. Thank you for indulging me. I really had to ask. <laughs> but, but something before we kind of go into the history, something that stuck out to me just now is that you were in the 
business of influencing before you were in the job as an influencer, which I think actually probably set you off on a really good foot because you probably learned things about how people should get paid and what careers could look like. And you probably didn't do a whole lot for free unless you really believed in the company or were doing a favor, et cetera. I would love to know what did you learn that really stuck out to you during that time that you think changed or maybe set your trajectory off on the right foot? Okay, I think honestly, the biggest takeaway from that internship was the fact that I realized you did not have to have a million followers or even just 100,000 followers to make a full time income off of influencing. And that was one thing that I never realized because that entire summer, I think I grew to my grew my channel to like 50,000 subscribers. And at that point, I was now building out campaigns and dealing with YouTubers through my job that had actually a smaller following, but were making a full-time income. So I was like, huh, this is kind of interesting. Like I have something unique to share with the world. I have this audience already. Why am I not tapping into that? And I think that was kind of the like mind shift for me from realizing like you don't, you just have to have something of value and brands just have to see that you have something of value to them in order to invest. And it really does not matter, especially in this day and age, like what how big or how large your following is it just matters like how good quality of content that you make if you have an important message and honestly if you just put yourself out there that's really wise of you and would you have done anything different knowing what you know now if you were to go back oh. to that yes sophomore year Aisha yes absolutely I feel like one I wouldn't have taken like nine months off of YouTube because one thing that I have realized is the more you put into your content the more you get out of it. I just like, I'm always, I have that haunting question, like, damn, if I was just super consistent all throughout university, like, where would I be right now? But in retrospect, I am really glad it happened the way it did, because I think it was a slower process. And I was able to just really build on that passion before like, working in like, you know, the stress of income and all of that kind of stuff. Like I was a broke college student. So it didn't really matter if I was making a ton of money. I was just trying to get my degree and get out of there. But I'm yeah, I'm really thankful for like the slow progression of it all and like where I am right now. And you know, that's the thing about influencing, right? Like there's so much FOMO because it's infinite, right? Technically, you can have there's no limit as to how many followers you have yeah. until you kind of run out of people who are on YouTube or on Instagram. So I think that one thing that I would find very tough if influencing was my full-time job or content creation, either of which were my full-time job, would be setting goals and having success metrics. Because I, my hunch is unless you have really clear success metrics, like my goal is to grow this much in this period yeah. of time, you will never be satisfied with where you yeah. are because numbers are infinite, right? Exactly. And that is so true. So I think you know, there was actually a time when I officially decided, okay, I'm going to give this thing a shot. And we'll see if this actually happens. And it was that goal setting that got me through it. The main, I guess, point in my life where I decided, maybe I should just continue with YouTube is I actually did a study abroad in my final semester or in my second last semester of university. And I just like enjoyed the traveling, learning about different cultures. And I was actually like documenting my entire process on YouTube at the time. And I just loved it so much. And I'm like, if I could do this full time and make a living income while doing something that I love, like, isn't that what we're all kind of chasing after? So when I came back to Canada for my last semester of university, I hustled my butt off <laughs> to get to that point. And I was posting two to three times a week, 
while still in university, while still doing, you know, going to classes, writing my midterms, doing my final projects, all of that stuff, because I had that goal in mind. I knew that I had to kind of set myself up for success when I graduated so I could eventually see where this career could take me. So by the end of actually what's crazy is you know, I obviously set a goal. I want to hit 100,000 subscribers in the year that I graduate. And what is so wild is that once I set that goal for myself, everything started falling in line. So in January, when I got back from my study abroad, I got noticed that, you know, I was going to be a featured creator for VidCon, which is like one of the largest conventions in the YouTube and social media space, which is so wild to me. I think the day that I graduated university, like the day that I walked across the stage, got my degree, is the day that I hit 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. No way. Yeah, like, it, and, and it's just like, there was just constant signs from God where I'm like, this is, this is where I'm meant to be right now. And it's like, kind of like, I get chills just thinking about it. Yeah, that, that sounds incredible. And I think the goal setting aspect and knowing when you would be satisfied with all the work you've put in is so important. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Hold on, before I fast forward to now, I'm too excited. There's so much to learn about you, Aisha. I, like I said, I, re- I really admire and, and, and love what you've done. And so you graduate from college, then what? So I kind of got a wake up call because when I hit 100,000 subscribers after I graduated, I was like, oh, this is it. Like I've made it. All these brands are going to be running to me. Like this is going to be amazing. And then I realized like, uh, no, that's actually not the case, especially, you know, being a woman of color, being a hijabi, like opportunities. I mean, now I think it's great, but opportunities back then didn't just like jump at you. So I realized like how much work I was going to be putting into it. And I set another goal for myself because I obviously realized like I didn't just go through four years of university to like be broke again. So I dedicated four months that entire summer, May to August uh, or September. And I was like, okay, I'm going to hustle so hard. And if things don't go well, if I'm not really seeing success out of this, then I'm going to start applying for jobs in like brand management, what I initially was studying for. And, you know, that summer, everything just fell into place. I was doing really well. I was reaching out to brands every single day, like probably 10 cold emails every single day, just trying to get my name out there. And it was honestly like really, really important to do that. By the end of the summer, I kind of realized like, okay, you know, I've set myself up well, this is going well. And I just continued from there. But it was definitely a lot of self doubt that I had to overcome. But you know, looking back now, I don't think that I would have been able to achieve all that I have without like that crazy hustle summer. You know, that's Incredible. And I don't think people realize that luck, like the idea of luck is really a matter of surface area, Mm -hmm. right? The more you expose yourself to the more people, the more opportunities, the more brands you reach out to, the more that will come to you. So successful people tend to be really proactive and really resourceful because they extend their reach, right? And so I'm curious, and it seems like you have that. You're clearly successful. You have that grit, that proactivity, that resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. When you were reaching out to 10 to 15 brands a day, what do you say, like, of, for every 10 or for every 15, how many would actually respond back to you? Oh, God, I would probably say like, one to two out of all of that would respond back. 
And I think it's funny now looking back because it's like all of those brands that I was reaching out to now I've either done work with or they're reaching out to work with me now. (laughs) But back then it wasn't always like that. It was a lot of trial and error. And I think also the space at the time, even though it was only now like what, four years ago, it still wasn't very inclusive. Like it was very clear Mm -hmm. that the blonde white influencers of the world were getting all of the deals. And even if, you know, I somehow got a chance to work on the same campaign as them, I wasn't making the same money as them, even if we had similar followings. So it was just kind of like, realizing that that's just how it was at the time, but not letting that deter me from like achieving the goal that I wanted to achieve is what really put that mindset because obviously I could sit there and like pity myself and be like oh I'm not getting any of these opportunities because I'm black or because I'm Muslim and all of this kind of stuff it's like okay what are you going to do about it you know like I wasn't going to let that stop me and I think going through college and like realizing okay At this point, I could be making a certain amount of income if I just went into this corporate job. It'd be a lot easier, but it wouldn't be as fulfilling to me. So it was just kind of like shifting my mindset and realizing like, again, the more you put into this, like the more you're going to get out of it. And yeah, I mean, no shame. I would reach out to brands in DMs. I would reach out to friends who maybe had some contacts with the brands that obviously, you know, I was close with. And yeah, I mean, just just trying to hustle, man. <laughs> and you know, it's wild that you said only four, four short years ago, yeah. black women, brown women, hijabis weren't necessarily getting the opportunities. Yeah. Do you think that's changed? A hundred percent. I think it's honestly changed so much. Um, and I'm thankful for that. I mean, just income wise, like I can see a huge difference in that. And I don't equate that directly to just like my follower growth. I think it's just like, Brands being, especially, I mean, this past year with the whole Black Lives Matter movement and brands just really being called out for all of the stuff that that people have been dealing with. I think that's really helped. And I mean, obviously, a lot of other things have changed. Like I now have management that helps push my name out there and, and handle a lot of the, I guess, outreach. But four years doesn't sound like a long time, but it definitely has really shifted the industry. I completely believe that. And I think I see it in lots of places where the expectation is that there's representation. And when it's not there, people are just very susceptible to criticism, which is valid. And is actually as early as today, Camila, my my two-year-old was wearing a shirt Mm -hmm. from like Target. It was just like a shirt with a bunch of women on it. And one of the women was hijabi on this like cartoon shirt. Crazy. Yeah. And she points at it. She goes, this is mama. I'm like, oh, my good, like literally I had this moment where I'm like, yeah, like I didn't even notice you were wearing that shirt because it's something you slept in. Like th- there's an expectation. So it's, that's cool. That's really yeah. cool. And f- it's especially interesting in your life because really your life is your product. Yeah. Yes. You create content around that life and you're good at creating content and put that creativity around it. But your product is, is you. Yeah, exactly. People consume you. I know. And I think that's like kind of the cool but also scary part of it. It's like people have really just watched my entire life evolve from 16 or 15 to now almost, you know, I'm turning 26 this year. So it's like realizing what that impact is on people's lives and like also trying to like create boundaries for myself while also trying to be as open as possible to share like real authentic experiences with the world. Um, But, you know, in the end, I am thankful for the position that I'm in and just like, you know, everything that I've been able to accomplish under literally me, you know, my name and my brand. It's pretty remarkable. And at some point in your journey, you made your way to Los Angeles. Do you feel like being in LA, I'd imagine being in kind of the epicenter 
of consumer goods or one of the epicenters mm-hmm. helped as well. Do you think it's important to live somewhere like LA or not really? I mean, I think yes and no. Like I would be lying if I said that my career hasn't grown like exponentially since moving out here. But I also think there still is a lot of opportunity. I mean, it's an online base at the end of the day. So it's like, it doesn't really matter where you're kind of based. But I think the biggest difference for me was right before I actually did move out here, I signed with my management DBA and they're based here in Los Angeles. So I think just kind of being close to them and like really just pushing my goals on them and pushing like the brands and the the chase lists that I have. And a lot of them are based in the US. And I think that really just kind of helped catapult my career. And I think just diversity wise, I mean, Canada does a really great job, but I feel like the US is called out on it more. So there is kind of this expectation that they have to they they have to reach. And like, I think that's been really like I've been able to kind of capitalize on that, which is wonderful. <laughs> definitely, yeah. definitely, definitely have your cake, have the cake for all the folks who never got their yeah. cake. Like I am here for it. Yeah. And so in terms of management and good management, mm-hmm. well, first of all, when did you get management? Did they come to you? And once you go through that, what is good management and what do they provide? Okay, so I guess I'll start first. I was from the time that I graduated, which is when I officially went full time with, you know, YouTube and social media till I want to say close to the end of 2018. So about a year and a half, I was doing everything on my own. I was managing everything on my own. I was reaching out to the brands, dealing with negotiations, all that kind of stuff. And I really enjoyed it because of, you know, my business background and the knowledge that I had on that. But it got to the point where I was spending way too much time on the logistics and kind of the business side of it. And it was taking away from me being able to create the content that I love to create so much. And it was almost kind of start, I was starting to not resent it, but I was getting there. So I realized, you know, I do need to, I need, I need some help. And they, so how we actually got connected was actually through that multi-channel network that I was telling you about that I signed to that I used to work for. And they just kind of recommended them. They knew that I was moving out to LA soon. And I knew that I, okay, so I knew the Toronto market, like the back of my hand, just because I was there, you know, I did the thing in Toronto, but I knew absolutely nothing about the US market and the influencers here and just the brands and everything. So I, I knew I needed help. So that's when I got connected with DBA and it actually ended up working out that my current manager, she left her old management and came into DBA just at the time that I was talking to them and I had already been familiar with her. So it just kind of worked out perfectly. And um, yeah, so I've been working with them for over two years now. Yeah, over two years now. And they have just been like such a great help. And one thing that I do want to say as well is I think the difference is that it's a lot harder for brands to play you when you have someone else speaking for you. And I think that's kind of like one of the biggest, I guess, the biggest advantages to having a management. That makes sense. People tend to, especially women, I can only say this because I'm a woman, maybe men do this, but if I had to guess, they don't. We tend to sell ourselves yes. short, right? Like, oh, you want me to represent you? Like little old exactly. me? Like, are, are you sure? So it's always good to have somebody be that layer. And so is is the management's role, like you said, you kind of put lists together. Do you give them a vision of who you want to represent? Do you give them a vision? Like, h- how do they 
do they come to you with the strategy or do you create the strategy and tell them how you want to be represented? Yeah. How does that dynamic? So I think in in the beginning when I first signed on to them, it definitely was like me taking in a lot of their considerations and just kind of like understanding more like where if, if there was like a goal that I wanted to reach kind of like what the content output would have to look like and all that kind of stuff. But now it's definitely more just like a mutually beneficial situation where like I do my thing, they do their thing, we're both really good at it. And we kind of just grow together. Um, but I remember, you know, a conversation that I had with their team before I even um, signed on to them. And this is a little bit off topic, but I didn't really, I don't want to say I didn't believe in myself and believe in the growth that I could achieve. But I remember talking to them. And I vividly remember saying like, you know, I don't think I'll ever be able to reach over like 500,000 subscribers. Like, I think that'll be like the end goal for me. Like, as a person, you know, who wears a hijab, who is a black Muslim woman online, I think that's just kind of where the train stops for me. That's like my million subscribers. And they kind of took that in like, oh, like, you know, that's weird that you think that but like, okay, like, we'll reach, you know, you'll get there and more. But I honestly didn't really believe that. And now looking at my following, you know, I'm going to reach 500,000 this year. And that only happened within two and a half years. So it's like really just being able to believe your growth and believe your achievements and believe in yourself is like such a huge deal. And I think they really kind of helped me believe that, you know, a lot of the people on their roster were people that I grew up watching. And I was like, okay, if they're interested in me, there must be something special. <laughs> but I think, again, it goes back to what you said, it's that self doubt, and it's us selling ourselves short. And like, it sucks that that always is the case. But it's also really great being able to prove yourself wrong. Definitely. And I think that what I've noticed as a pattern throughout your journey is the constant lesson that it's about the rate of iteration yeah. and persistence. You iterated, you persisted, you kept going, you kept going, you kept going. And the more that you persist and can learn how to create content that reflects you best and brings yeah. in that audience, the better. So like, I think that we doubt ourselves, but sometimes we put the facts aside, right? Like the fact is, if you keep creating content, more people will come. Like it's a proven model. You just have to keep doing it. Keep, exactly, keep going. Exactly. And I think, I mean, there is some truth in the fact that maybe our rate of growth won't be as quick as non people of color or, you know, someone maybe who doesn't wear the scarf. But again, that shouldn't be like, a deterrent from you continuing to just put out content that you love and like, you know, you want to grow through. Yeah, there's definitely no question about that. And that's actually something I, I, I grapple with a lot too. As a Muslim woman, as a professional Muslim woman, as somebody who has a career in technology, I think that my hijab always walks into the room before yeah. I do. And it's something I'm always cognizant of and, and you know, reflect, reflect. Mm -hmm. I, I try to reflect it pretty well. But also like, I think a lot of minority communities are constantly aware and reminded that they are the hijabi in yeah. tech. They aren't necessarily just somebody who's really good at tech. And that's always an extra layer or wall that we have exactly. to break down. Yeah, 100%. That's so true. So I would love to do some lightning okay. round questions. Let's do it. <laughs> what What was your COVID passion project that you picked Ooh, up? COVID passion project. Recently, it's been matcha. Super weird. I've been very passionate Ooh. about matcha, <laughs> which sounds so weird. But if I, I'll give you a, a better answer, home decor. Both really good, but actually I have a suggestion for the matcha because I tried it once and okay. I never forgot. Hot mint over water. Get like really strong mm. hot mint. Add like a drop or two of vanilla in there and throw it in your matcha. Ooh. It's literally insane. It's so oh good. God. So I'm glad that you brought matcha up. Okay, I'm literally picking up mint right after this call. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's so good. 
<laughs> if you were stuck on an island for a week, what would you take? Okay. I would bring lip balm, sunscreen. <laughs> Important. <laughs> hmm. What else? Matcha. <laughs> I feel like I could probably get by without matcha if I'm just on an island. I might, I might need to take something <laughs> a little bit more functional. Maybe chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> great great choice and last but not least I would take a like some sort of game like I don't know something to like pass time with like a book or like a game those are those are all solid things so good to know what's a pinch me moment in your life okay this actually happened recently so over the summer YouTube announced that they're gonna dedicate a hundred million dollars towards black creators and recently I actually got awarded you know, a portion of that as a grant for their YouTube Black Voices fund. And that was honestly one of the biggest pinch me moments because I'm like, just this girl that started off on YouTube when she was 16 years old, like didn't have any idea where life would take me and like to be awarded something like that from like YouTube themselves is all it is just yeah, it's just crazy. I get chills. That's amazing. That is so so cool. Congratulations. Absolutely. If you weren't recording a podcast right now, what would you be doing? I would probably be watching Netflix. I'm not going to lie. I was just starting a new show. Um, (laughs) So I would probably be watching that. What show? Last question. It's called Fate. It's about fairies or something. I don't know. I'm kind of into like that weird teenage drama, like sci-fi sort of thing. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. And I I would love now to kind of go into your routine. People are always fascinated by routines. I'm especially interested in routine because I'm like half robot and I love routine. But also for people who are creative and have to manage their own schedules Mm -hmm. and really manage their own outcomes, right? What's a day in your life like? Are you routine oriented and walk us through it? Yeah. So you know what? A huge goal of mine for 2021 was to become more routine oriented because although I did have a slight routine last year and like years before it was just kind of like oh well I I work for myself I work from home I can kind of do stuff whenever and then that kind of turned into like me editing videos and working at like 12 30 in the morning which doesn't make any sense so now I have more of a routine I actually wake up around like 6 45 or 7 and I immediately make my matcha I go on a walk And I try to just get some sort of activity in right in the morning because I feel for the most part, I am, what I do is very sedentary. Like I literally just sit and edit videos or read emails and all that kind of stuff. So trying to just get out, not take my phone, just enjoy a walk every morning is really important to me. And then by the time I get back, it's like time to start work. So probably from about 9am to I want to say like 1pm is when I'm doing majority of my like, quote unquote, administrative stuff. So answering emails, replying to emails, dealing with any campaigns that I'm working on, creating some content, usually like Instagram or whatever that is. And then later on the day is if I'm filming a YouTube video, I will do that. And I try to finish majority of my work around 5 or 6pm, just so I can have more of a work routine rather than just like, I'm all over the place, which is definitely what used to happen a couple years ago. Yeah, that's kind of my routine. But the great thing about it now is that I do work with editors and um, I have a photographer as well. So I feel like that takes a little bit of the pressure of like doing everything from A to Z 
just on myself and I can actually like kind of scale out my business a little bit more. Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. And that's actually the perfect segue to the last topic, which is money. Yes. So I would love to talk about we, we had a, Irene on the show, mm-hmm. Irene Sarah on the show a few weeks ago, and I was talking to her about just influencers and how they should expect to be paid. Mm-hmm. And so she was talking about how brand deals are most of her income and that that's a really big part of it. My question for you is, in terms of kind of how you get paid, just so people can compare notes, mm-hmm. is it mostly brand deals? Is that what you aspire towards? And yeah, that, that's the first question. Yeah, I would say probably like maybe 80% of my income comes from brand deals alone. And in one given month, I might be doing like anywhere from like five to 10 different brand deals. And what's great about that is a lot of the times it'll be brands that I have always loved and always talked about. So it'll be kind of more of a long-term partnership that just makes sense for what I do. And, you know, it's it's great because it's a little bit more, it makes it more sustainable in that sense. Because in the past, influencing and, and being a content creator and a freelancer, income can really, really fluctuate. You know, you can make like, basically nothing one month and then make your whole year salary (laughs) the next month so it's like it's it's a little bit hard to kind of deal with that if you're not working in brand deals especially like with youtube adsense and all of that kind of stuff always fluctuating depending on what time of year it is so yeah thankfully i do work majority with brands and that's kind of where most of my income comes from that's good to know so people know what to aspire towards and can you quickly go into youtube fluctuating based on the time of year is that based on viewership being higher or lower at certain points yeah so it's based on viewership but it's also based on just advertising dollars for example in the last quarter of the year so you know september to December is kind of like the highest period of earnings because brands are paying much more to put their ads on your videos and just like putting more advertising dollars in general because of holiday, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, all of those things that kind of fall into the last quarter. So I always say this, like a large chunk of my income comes from that last quarter of the year because that's when all the brands are investing the most into it. And then, you know, on the other side, on the flip side, January to March is pretty quiet because brands have spent so much money in that last quarter and they've kind of like died down a little because there's not so much like buying happening at this time. And it kind of fluctuates like back to school, it picks back up. Sometimes in the summer, it picks back up. And if you're doing anything specific, for example, I have a series on my YouTube channel. This is going to be, I think, the fourth or fifth year um, called the Ramadan Daily, where I post daily videos um, and content on my channel. And that's also probably the highest earning month for me on YouTube because I'm posting constantly and there's more ads being shown and all of that kind of stuff. Thanks for walking me through that. That's really interesting. And, And the really interesting part about content creation is unless you're in the industry or have friends to ask, it's very hard to know how it works. And most people are happy with like a free pair of glasses. Them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was, I was people. I was that person. <laughs> <before>. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then separately outside of the brand deals, yeah. do you for yourself have to think about things like investing your money or putting away for retirement or monies months when maybe you might get less deals? Like, mm-hmm. do you have general principles you want to share with the audience before we wrap on that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like now I've reached the point where like income is pretty consistent like month to month um, which alhamdulillah I'm very thankful for but in terms of like investing I actually just started getting into that at the end of last year because I was speaking with my accountant and she was saying you know like there's tax write-offs for 
going into something called a SEP IRA. I honestly, it's like a different language to me, investments and stocks and all of that kind of stuff. So I just reached out to a financial advisor who like set up my whole portfolio and everything just so I can think of that. Because I had a really interesting consultation with them. And they were just kind of showing the difference between like a 25 year old saving for her retirement savings over the next, I don't know, 30 years versus a 30 year old saving for the same amount of time. And like the difference in that is insane. And I feel like learning all of this stuff when I'm younger is a lot more important. But at the same time, I don't understand that. Again, it's a whole new language to me. So I would just rather like put that off to someone who understands it a little bit more. Yeah, but the most important decision which you made, which is really important, is just to like handle it. Yeah. So and the reason I ask that is because so I'm in tech world mm-hmm. and, you know, you're, you're in creative world. And I, I had to think very similarly. Fortunately, I'm married to a financial advisor, so oh, he figured it out for me. That's amazing. <laughs> it's it's pretty great, but but it's the same concept where even early on, before income was stable for us and when we were really early, mm-hmm. there's always that question of like, you know, make sure that you're thinking about the future. Yeah. You're not at a corporate job yet where people have, now we offer our employees 401ks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But back then in the early days, it was things we had to think about offline. And I think that that's something that's very similar in content creator world, yeah. where if you are in this for the long haul, even, uh, you know, once you get past that point where where you have disposable income and you're off the ground if nobody's brought it up to you, you need to prioritize the future and think about how you're going to make it happen for yourself in terms of either putting money away or talking to a financial advisor or investing and kind of think about the future. Because when you make your own career path and you don't have much work experience before that, you don't realize that these are vehicles that corporate jobs put together for you. Exactly. And I think honestly, obviously I mentioned like, you know, I was in university and that's kind of after I graduated, I continued on doing this full time. I think having that mindset of this is now my career and it's no longer just a hobby or just a means to an end and a means of like making money once I realized it was going to be a career and I am in here for the long run I started taking it more seriously and I wasn't just frivolously spending all my money as soon as I got it like I would have when I was in high school and I had my part-time job like I realized like okay it might it might be nice to like treat myself going on all these trips purchase like designer whatever because I can afford it now but it doesn't mean like you know it's it's a little bit of a scary thought but like what if there's always these what ifs like what if one day no one wants to watch me anymore like (laughs) this is a career that I set out on I have to make sure that I'm actually good in the long run but I think another thing that I was considering and something that I definitely will do in the next couple years is actually building my my brand a little bit more off platform, whether that's through a product line, or, you know, something of that sort, so that if I ever decide, like, okay, I don't want to create content or anymore, I want to back away from it a little bit, or take time off, like I still have this other business that is still doing well for me. That's really incredible. I'm excited to see where your career goes. And I think the big lesson for the audience there, which I'm so glad you went over is, if you're creative, if you are your own boss, think about the future take action on it because nobody else is doing it for you. And you actually started to segue into my next and last question before the plugs, which is what's next? What's your vision board for the next decade? Oh, oh God, decade. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that far ahead, unfortunately. But a huge goal of mine in the next, I want to say like two to five years is to definitely build out my brand and come out with a product line, whether that's something in skincare, makeup, apparel, like whatever it is. I just feel like it's 
obvious that I'm like selling other products now and I'm influencing people to purchase all these products. But if I could do that for someone else's brand, I could 100% do that for something that I created myself. And I feel like it's almost like another step to connecting with my audience even more because now they can purchase something that actually means more than just what it did in the past. So that's like a huge goal of mine. I don't want to speak too much on it yet, but I mean, things will be happening. Inshallah. <laughs> Inshallah. Yeah. And for those who are listening and want to be up to date on the latest things that are happening, where can they find you? Give me all of the plugs. Yes. So I'm Aisha Haroon on basically all platforms, A-Y-S-H-A-H-A-R-U-N on YouTube, on Instagram. My TikTok is Aisha.Haroon or underscore Haroon because someone stole my name. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh, that's besides the point. But yeah, you can find me on all those. I'm pretty much making matcha every single morning on my stories, if that's something you're into as well. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. I'll make sure to put all of that in the show notes. I am so grateful for your time. You're an inspiration, Aisha. And I look forward cool. to seeing you blow past that 500K subscriber mark as just the beginning. So thanks for spending this hour with me. Thank you so much. This was so amazing. Thank you.